Uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for your presence. Father, we thank you for Jesus uh, among us. Lord, we want to dive into your word. Why? Because we want to be impacted by your word. Psalm 107, verse 20, and he sent his word and healed them. Lord, I need healing in my soul. I need healing in my spirit. Uh, as a community, collectively, we need it. This valley needs it, Lord. If we're not healed, who's going to be able to take the message of the kingdom and your glory out into a hurting world called the Coachella Valley? So, Lord, we're thankful for this morning. I pray, Lord, that there are many needs uh, among us this morning and on live stream. Lord, be with those folks. Be with them pre current and present. For those who are sitting in their living room watching right now or sitting right here in at UCR in Palm Desert, California, Lord, we're thankful that you are among us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, these, my friends, are the dog days of summer, if you haven't noticed. 117 it got, and I think it got maybe a little even hotter depending on where you were. In my car, it was 148. I don't know if it was, but it felt like it. Uh, that's one of those days you just sweat even, you're sweating in the shower, you know what I mean? You're sweating in the shower. Uh, I want to want to welcome those in New York. I know we've got some New York viewers and, and uh, Chicago, uh, Chicago and Boston and uh, Denver and uh, all of the places that much of our family goes during the summer. So we're excited and many who aren't have never even attended UCR, uh, excuse me, Church of the Red Door and are now now part of our kind of growing family uh, on, online. So that's exciting for us. So uh, this week, we will continue with the story of David and speaking of the dog days of summer. We now enter the, the tragic time. Uh, seeds, as we saw a number of weeks back, seeds had already been planted for this event, quite frankly, quite a long time ago. David had uh, um, a fairly aggressive libido and uh, active, and uh, he did not restrain that. And as a result, began to multiply against the Lord's admonition all the way back to the time of Moses. He said, look, I'll, I'll allow you a king. I'm going to allow you kings down the road. But uh, here's what I'm asking you to do. Well, slightly after Moses. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't allow them. They should not multiply for themselves wives, concubines. And yet David had. And with all that, as we know, uh, many of you men can attest uh, as you increase that uh, desire and try to meet that desire, usually the desire just increases. And so there's not a balance. There's not a healthy balance. And so this is the era that now we're going to get into the time of David's life that is an absolute struggle. You think the struggle was in the wilderness. No, the presence of God was very near in the wilderness. And yet now we see a time in David's life that he's cost himself Really, he will pay the price for the rest of his life, and many of you will know it. If you ask, in fact, if you ask the story, say, well, tell me about David. Even to the guy on the street that doesn't know a lot, even your person who's not very biblically literate will know, first of all, probably say, well, David and Goliath, we've heard that. And then the second that would come into their mind is David and Bathsheba. Now, imagine being defined by your greatest accomplishment and by your greatest failure, and tends to be in this day and age... That's the case. In fact, if you list a person and you go out and say, well, tell me about something about that person, very often you'll be able to say, well, they accomplished this maybe in the business world or on Wall Street, but then, well, what do you know second about them? Well, then they fell or they committed suicide or they, you know, they, they fell in their marriage, they had an adult, and I remember their big divorce or something like that. It's very often that we're known by our greatest accomplishments, and just talking about generally, and oftentimes by our greatest failures. Now, that's not the case in God's eyes, and God was consistent with what he thought about David, and David was a man after God's own heart. But when you get into this, especially some of you ladies, and maybe you've suffered uh, from this, you know, what we're going through right now. I mean, this in David's life, as I'm going to show you this morning, was very much a Harvey Weinstein episode. He abused power. Uh, he, he did it uh, for sex. Let's just be honest. I mean, you say, well, you can't talk about that in church. Well, the Bible's full of things like this, and the Bible never covers up its stories, and it's very frank about its heroes, and ultimately we know our ultimate hero is Jesus, and he did not struggle, and that's why he's our ultimate hero. I want you to go, if you have your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to enter the story and now go down this very dark time, I mean dark, I mean it doesn't get any worse than this in your life, 
sin on a scale that uh, is, well, for most people, if you're in here, you may say, well, I've committed a sin that is beyond the Lord's ability to forgive me. Today, you're going to read a story and you go, well, maybe I didn't sink to that level. David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to read three words. And then it happened. And then it happened. Have you had episodes in your life where, you know, you go back and you're like, I don't even know what, what happened. It just happened. It happened so quickly. It was a, a moment that I, I regret. I mean, this can happen in a moment's time. It can be a road rage incident. It can be a moment at home where you absolutely deconstruct what maybe has been constructed in your family life for 20 years and you go off and maybe you slap your wife or you you do something or you say something that's so penetrating that you know the ramifications are probably going to be felt for a long time after that even in a grace community you know that the consequences of sin are profound and then it happened and I think there aren't many of us in here that at some point in our lives whether it be in the business world or the family world or maybe with your children or maybe with a close friend, you can look back and go, and I remember, and then it happened, and then it happened. And, you, and, and so this is going to speak to those moments in all of our lives. This is not just a, a look at, into David's life. It's a look into all of our lives. In fact, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart and I am pure from sin? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short, well short of the glory of God. There aren't any of us in here that can say we are without sin. We are without a moment that suggests that I'm a failure, that I've absolutely failed God, that I don't in any way reflect the glory of what I read about God in the Bible. And yet, David is still loved. We're going to have to remember that throughout this entire story, that even in the midst of this, this, that we're going to read about. And it's probably worse than you've ever known. You've probably thought about Bathsheba in some general ways. Maybe you don't know about all the cover-up. Maybe you don't know about all that. And this is going to be new insight for you. If David can sink to that level, literally this, I will tell you, this is a Harvey Weinstein moment. This is a hashtag me too moment in David's life. You can't cover it up and the Bible refuses to do it. As much as it exonerates and, and lifts David up, it still does not hold back from saying, and this is actually what happened, which is, by the way, one of the very encouraging things to me about the Bible. It just doesn't hold back any punches. When a man acts or a woman acts in righteousness, it lifts them up for all to know for, for centuries. And yet, when a man or woman acts in a way that is without faith and in, contrary, in a contrary way to way, the way God knows or, or they know that God wants them to behave or act or live or live for, it doesn't hold back either. And then it happened in the spring. Second part of this is dramatically important. This first sentence is loaded. At a time when kings go out to battle. In a time when kings go out to battle. First of all, this is a seasonal misappropriation of his time. We talked a lot. We did a whole series on the times and the seasons of God. And if you don't recognize a particular season in your life, you will be complicit with what? Well, just your own flesh, typically. We have to be aware of the seasons in our life. We really do. It's so important. And this was a time when kings went out to battle. And where was David? He was not in battle. You know, the Bible, the New Testament is very clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, we are in a war. Our battle, Paul said, is not against flesh and blood. In other words, you are in a battle, not only against powers and principalities and spiritual forces in terms of advancing the gospel, if you do care about those things, but also in your own soul. I mean, this is a, I've, I've got to be honest with you, some people, I don't know what's your perception of me. I struggle. It is a struggle. There is a war waged against my soul every day from the moment I wake up. From the moment I open my eyes till the moment I finally drift off into a deep sleep. Except for that ridiculous mockingbird that can, keeps mocking me at night. But from, from the moment, there is a battle waged against my soul. And if I don't recognize that, then I'm not out to battle. And David was not at the battle. And he was the king. At a time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons 
of Ammon and besiege Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Is there a place in your life right now that you know God is asking you to proceed and move in this direction and yet you feel more comfortable staying where you are? It's just easy that way. I'm comfortable here. Who wants to be in battle? I mean, battle involves blood and gore and all that kind of stuff, spiritually or figurative. I mean, figuratively or literally. I mean, battle is a tough place to be. It's much better that I just hang out on my rooftop in the cool of the evening. I like it better. I've deserved this. And there's all kinds of justifications. I've worked my whole life for this, right? I'm in a place where I, it's time to enjoy. So, I mean, I was in the wilderness for all those years. I had to, you know, take care of those sheep. I had to run from Saul all those years. I had to play the servant boy. I, I was misunderstood. I, I'm finally at a place where, you know, we're in a pretty good place and there wasn't any real pressing thing here. I mean, they had relative peace, but there's always skirmishes around. Where did he find himself? The wrong place at the wrong time. But this was already, he'd already set up this scenario in his own life. Whether he was aware that he had set it up or not was not the point. Should have been out to battle and shouldn't have married that many wives and multiplied wives and had all kinds of concubines. He had already put himself in a position to fail. One of the things, let me tell you something, if you've been successful in life relative to whatever that you consider that to be, if you've been successful maybe in the business world, you understand that you made thousands of decisions before you actually got to a place that somebody would say, oh, he's an overnight success. Boy, she just is amazing how she just all of a sudden got fame. Let me tell you something, there were thousands of decisions of faithfulness that led to that place, otherwise you would have never had that opportunity. Or if you had the opportunity, it would have been premature and you would have failed in the meantime. David had made a lot of good decisions, but he'd also made some very poor decisions and had laid the groundwork for the next paragraph. Now, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. Why did he arise from his bed? Maybe he couldn't sleep. You know, sometimes when you're uh, in a season and you know God's called you to do things, you begin to lose a little sleep. It's just my own speculation, but why? Well, maybe he had too much to eat. Who knows? But he got up from his bed in the evening and walked out and started to walk around. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman and said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. No, not ask her if she might like to come up and enjoy a... Uh, you know, a glass, glass of tea. No, went, sent messengers and went and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived and sent David and sent and said to David, I am pregnant. Can you imagine that is just a few lines, one paragraph and then the rest of David's story, till the very time that he dies, is full of repercussions from one tiny paragraph. And then it happened. Well, how did that happen? Where did that come from? I can't believe I hit that guy. And then he, then he fell, and then he died, and now I'm in prison for the rest of my life. I can't believe I said yes. I mean, I didn't really want to, but there was peer pressure or something. How, our prisons are full of people that have just said, no, that one thing. Or, or it didn't have to be just prison. I can't believe I did that. It cost me my family and a divorce and then the split, and then the, the ramifications are going to be felt for generations with my kids. Jesus can overcome that, but... Tragedy can befall you in one moment's time, and, just, it, and then it happened. One paragraph, really? I'm walking around. I see a beautiful woman, sent the messengers, take her, come up. Can, he lay with her. She conceived, and I'm pregnant. What, four or five, four or five sentences? Really? It happened like that. What was the total time from moment to conception to change in his life? From the very moment he got up out of bed and walked around, well, it had started, like we said, it had started way before that. But the time of execution was just right there. It just took probably, you know, a couple hours from, from the moment he saw her till the time that, and then, and then it's over, his life. Of course, we know his, not, his life is not over. And this is a great picture of grace. The very story of David is a picture of how God can and will forgive you regardless of what you have done. And I'm so thankful that this story is in the Bible. 
I've got to tell you, I'm so thankful. But it gets worse. The story itself gets worse. Now, one thing before we move on, I think it's important to say, because uh, at various points there have been different pictures. Well, how complicit was Bathsheba if she's out on her rooftop bathing? And maybe we get one of these Hollywood scenarios in our mind of a seduction that's kind of perpetrated by her. And David's just kind of a, you know, he's just a passerby and he just kind of gets trapped in her net. Well, let me tell you something. I think there are a few things in here, if we do a little investigative work, that will help us understand that this is David's issue and not hers. Obviously, it becomes her issue, but at this day and this time, please remove yourself from the 21st century for a, for a second, and let's go back, you know, 3,000 years into that culture and into that time. First of all, she was without child when they met. Now, chances are, in that culture and that time, that they got married early and then they had kids pretty much within the first year. So chances are she was somewhat of a newlywed with Uriah. Probably, most theologians think, maybe between the age of 15 and about 19 years old. Now, a lot of times you get a kind of a picture of Hollywood where she's now 30 and she's been through some relationships. And, you know, she's pretty well, uh, you know, she understands the ways of the world and all that. I don't think so at all. I think she's just a woman, and we get this picture, and, I, and I'm sorry for the graphic nature of this, but I think it's important because it speaks to an issue here, and it's important to know. We're going to have a little feedback loop. There's a problem. Uh, we have a technical problem up here that we can't solve before the service, so you just have to bear with it. But she, she comes in, and at this moment, at ver verse 4, it says she purified herself from her uncleanness. Now, what does that mean? Chances are, and in fact, the NASB, I think, is, stands alone in its interpretive view. So if you have NIV or King James or one of the other ESV or some of the other translations, it's actually best understood when you can see she was purifying or she, she was purified or she had just been purifying. Some of your translations are different. This suggests that she was unclean as a function of what happened with David and then she had to go clean herself. I, th I had to go cleanse herself from uncleanness. I don't think so. And I'm, again, I'm sorry for the graphic nature, but it's important. It's important to get a character sketch because something emerges from this that's important. In the, in the Levitical law, a woman during her menstrual cycle would need to have a period of, she was unclean, she was deemed unclean during that time, and then there would be a period of time after that, uh, and that she would then ovulate. So what's important to understand is that chances are her bathing was not a seductive act to try to in some way seduce the king that was clearly, we, sometimes we picture a window up here and then she's right there and she's up there playing you know, out some seductive scene. I don't think so at all. She was there in the process of purifying herself according to the law. I think that's a fair, a fair assessment to make. And what happened is, is that it was after, so the purification process was after her cycle, and then now she's on the rooftop according to the law, and that would have been about the time she was ovulating as well, which would have given credence to the, the picture of the story, obviously, which is she became pregnant during that time. So here she was being, according to the law, a probably a new bride, and then we have this picture. So now you get my assessment a little bit earlier, this is a little bit of a Harvey Weinstein moment. And you can't dress it up. And I would say to all the Harvey Weinsteins out there, and, you, and it, there, believe it or not, and this may offend you, but there is forgiveness at the cross. If there's forgiveness for David, there's forgiveness for you. Whether or not you've been a perpetrator in the past, you can come to the cross and you can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus as well. But we cannot dress up what David did. It was tragic. He used his power. He used manipulation. He used, he used everything he could for one purpose, his libido. That's it. That's it. That's why he did this. There is no other explanation. And I don't think she was complicit at all. Her life was changed forever, as we're going to continue to read. So David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. Do you think he was that concerned? He had one thing on his mind. I got to get this thing covered up. This could bring me down. 
Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. Now, when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? This was not David's plan at all. He just said, bring Uriah back so she can go and have relationships. He can go and have relationships. And then they'll obviously think that she conceived through her own husband and the thing will all go away. And here you have Uriah in the middle of it unwilling to even go and be with his own wife, even though he'd been on the battlefield. He goes, I can't do it. My compadres are out there in the middle of the battle. We should be out at the fight. I don't feel right doing that. And he slept out on out and outside. Uriah was a righteous man. Now, you know you're in a bad place when you start trying to cover up things around people of righteousness. Let me say that again. When you are in a place in your life where you are avoiding church, Jesus, the people, the Holy Spirit, righteous people who are walking in and around you, and you begin to avoid them, you we can make every kind of justification. A lot, a lot of people, and not all people, but a lot of people say, I avoid the organized church because, and then they'll give you a long litany of reasons why they don't like organized church and why they won't come. But deep down, you know what they're doing? Not all, but some. They don't like being around righteous people because righteous people confront them with their own sin. Not even by, maybe verbally, not even because they're assaulted. They just go there and they feel uncomfortable because they said, these people are pursuing God and I'm not. So let me find another reason. I'm not going to hang around them because I'm not pursuing righteousness. Let me find a different reason. Let's come up with a reason like, well, you know, you don't need that. And my religion is private and all this other kind of stuff. You don't like being confronted with righteousness. And David even hated this worse. How did David, the man after God's own heart, who loved God and wrote many of the Psalms, and I mean, we we still, I mean, Jesus came sitting on the throne of David through the Davidic covenant that we looked at last week. How does a man go from that place of exaltation to a place where he's actually conspiring against the righteous because he's confronted by the righteous? How, what a shift. Do you feel the duplicity in his own, his own life? And yet, don't we all at some point feel like if people knew what was going on in my head, I couldn't even show my face at church. You think everybody comes and everybody's so pretty and their families are so nice and they're everything. They had no problems and no issues whatsoever. And then you don't you say, I don't, I don't know if I want to go there anymore. Let me just tell you something. We're all here because this is a hospital and we're all recognizing that we're sick in our souls and we need Jesus. Even after we're saved, we're made righteous, but we need a continuous sanctification and cleansing through the washing of the water of the word and worship and fellowship. We come here because we are needy and it's okay to say we're needy. You're here. I don't care who you're sitting next to. And if I was sitting in the front row and you were sitting next to me, you'd say we're all needy. And there's a duplicity in all of our hearts. You know, we aspire, we can see Jesus, and then we see other areas of our lives that we say, well, it just doesn't seem to be living up. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more distance you will realize you've always been from him. Let me just tell you something. The closer you get to Jesus, the more different you realize he is than you. You know, it's... it's, and I've told you this, and I've, I've talked about this at various points, but I, I remember early on and when I first came to Jesus, he's so lucky to have me. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize I can't believe he's still hanging out with me and calling me his son and his friend and his family. I can't believe it. But I think I've actually grown in righteousness. I'm just more aware of my unrighteousness now that the Holy Spirit has had more access to my body. Does that make sense? It's important to see. David should have seen this, but he didn't. The first, he'd already had four or five warning signs, and yet now, if he would really stop, and he will be stopped by God's prophet, Nathan, but at this moment, he's just in the cover-up mode. He says, by your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then verse 12, then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. 
Can you believe this is King David who who we hold in such high esteem? And now he's manipulating, coercing, and now he's trying to get... This is the oldest tactic in the book. I want somebody to do something that they they don't want to do. I know they they don't want to do it, so I'll get them drunk. Tell me this isn't a hashtag me too moment. I mean, the whole thing, it's a cover-up, it's manipulation. Now he's trying to get him drunk. And in the evening, when he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Uriah just, even, even though the king's loading him up with drink, he still says, no, I will not do that. Now, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw for him so that he may struck, be struck down and die. Now, we've gone to a place of murder. Really? So it was, as Joab kept watch on the city, did he put Uriah at the place where he knew there, was a, there were valiant men. And the men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the servants of the word of the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises... And he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerob uh, Asheth, who did not, who, excuse me, did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now, Joab is now, he knows what's going on. He knows what's going on with David. He's part of the cover-up now. So they're just trying to skew the facts and put a little haze in there, put a little fog so that nobody really knows what's going on. Joab knows exactly what's going on. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. More of the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David sent to the messenger... Thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. Now David's heart, how hard has David's heart become? It's unrecognizable. Well, you know, the the battles kill, some die in battle, that just happens. And he knows exactly, exactly why Uriah died, because of his wandering eye, that's why. Now he hadn't put it all together that way because I'm sure he feels completely and utterly justified one of the reasons that I love the Bible as much as it slays me when I read it is that it doesn't hold back and what it does is it confronts me in my own justifications because we're good at it aren't we are we not good at justifying you can be abused and you become the victim for the rest of your life. And then you come to the word and you say, you've got to forgive and move on. You're drinking poison and you, you buy into that philosophy, that idea, that concept, and it will debilitate you for the rest of your life. Unless your justifications for your own behavior, even if you've been the victim, unless your justifications are confronted by God's word, you will stay in a place of pain and turmoil and fear for the rest of your life. That the word will liberate you. Quit fighting against the word. Don't do it. Don't try to justify. If you come to something and you're confronted with it, it's hard. And that's why we need community to encourage encourage us every day because all of us want to bail. Let me tell you something. You're going to go down this path of walking with Jesus and you're going to want to bail. And you can find a different somebody and you can find a, you know, find a different mate, find a different job, find a different church, find a different city. And people are truly wanderers. They just wander around always thinking somewhere the grass is always greener and they never deal with what the word will confront you with. Without Nathan, who was God's word to, to David, he would have never been confronted. Now verse... 26, now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. I think that's important as well. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. This is a tough sentence. Now listen to this deeply. 
But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So maybe you're here this morning or wherever you may be watching this from and you're going, you know, there's something in my life and the thing that I've done has been evil in the sight of the Lord. And the question is, what do I do now? Without the message of the gospel, you're in bad, bad place. If you're just in place to try to self-restore, good luck with all that. You'll spend time, I'm telling you, you'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars in therapy for the rest of your life, but you'll never be able to allay the shame that accompanies a tender heart that knows that it's sinned. Just trying to sit, give yourself, look in the mirror and give yourself positive self-affirmations self every day. Jeff, you're a good guy. You have light within you. you you'll be fine. Look at you. You're, you're someone who's valuable. You're something. And deep down, you're going, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're a, you're a mess. You can do that. You can work on that. You can do the therapy. You can do all you want. All you need is the gospel. You need to know that Jesus has forgiven you. Your creator has forgiven you. From the tip of your head to your very toenails. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. Look, if you've never experienced a born-again experience where you can come and you can say, and, and we'll see, and we saw some of these last week in the testimonies, right? If you've never had the experience of being utterly and completely freed and forgiven, you just don't know, you've not yet understood the gospel. If you don't recognize and a weight has gone off your back, you still don't, you've gotten a little religion, but you haven't gotten the gospel yet. So what does happen? It's clear that David's shalom was a mess. What is shalom? It's our ultimate well-being. It's peace. It's the Hebrew word for saying, it's not that you're just financially well off. It's not just that shalom is something much more broad, much more deep. You're not in despair. You're not suffering from depression. You, everything's been made right. You now have hope. There's hope in your life. You're, it doesn't mean that all your circumstances are perfect, but you're walking through it. It feels like you're walking above the circumstances. You now have an inner peace. I don't care where you are or what you're suffering from, there is such an inner peace, such a, such a knowing, and yet it's compromised in David's life. It's through this process that David recognized what Paul then, 3,000 years later, excuse me, 1,000 years later, what the Apostle Paul would write in the letter to the Galatians, Galatians 6 verse 8, for the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, that eternal life doesn't just mean heaven one day and the by and by in the future. It means the eternal life will infuse you now. You'll already recognize that you're, as Paul said, you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're already experiencing the shalom of God now. But if you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Look, we all think we can get around it. We think we can, if well, it won't affect me. I can handle it. I can get close to the fire and not get burned. I can, but in the end, it is. And then if you go on, if we go on in Galatians 6, we all know this verse well. God's not mocked. As a man sows, so shall he or she reap. But the, as we've talked about in here before, it's also true that if you're sowing to the Spirit, you'll reap shalom, life, the kind of life that Jesus promised. Are you sowing to the Spirit or are you sowing to the flesh? And the reality is, is that many of us are, like David, a mixed bag. There are areas where we are sowing to the Spirit and we are seeing increased joy and peace, but we still deliberately and sometimes unknowingly, but still we live in this body and there's a battle against our soul and we find ourselves sowing to the flesh and then we reap from it. So what is it? Well, it's important to know that David's in a quandary. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Let me say that again. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, he will find compassion. Now, this lays the groundwork for where David goes next. Now, there's a long process through this. There's a, a, he's confronted by Nathan. We'll get into that at later points. But Nathan finally, and I'll we'll just do it now, Nathan comes to him and says, tells him the story of a, of a guy who has a bunch of lambs, and then he sees his poor neighbor over here, and he just has one, and he goes after, and he gets that one for himself. 
And David is so ticked off about that because he's the king. He has the right to judge. Bring that guy to me. It's going to cost him everything. And then what does Nathan turn to him? He says, you are that man. And in the story Nathan used, it was a little ewe lamb. Bathsheba was the little ewe lamb. Again, I think a picture of her age probably at the time, a teenager. Uriah is out there fighting the fight. He's a righteous man. He is living for, he is giving it, laying down his life for your nation. And what are you doing? You've got all the lambs you need. You've got all the sheep in your fold, all your wives, your concubines, you're the king. You have anybody you want. And you look down there and you look at that little you lamb said, I've got to have it. David's ready to go off and he's ready to have this guy completely wiped from the face of the earth. You are that man. The response David gives is an, is an indication of who he really is. Yes, he is a man of great failure. But there was an immediacy to his repentance. And we see two of the psalms that he wrote during this time. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. It was during this time that he felt so alienated from God, so away from the Holy Spirit, such a lack of peace and shalom in his life, that he wrote these two profound psalms, and let's read them because it gives us insight into where he was. Psalm 32 first. Verse 1. Notice how it starts. How blessed. <laughs> how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Can I tell you, I'm going to ask you the question this morning. Are you a blessed person? Well, I'm telling you, you can say, well, I have this or I have this or, you know, I've got this much in my bank account or my life's going pretty well right now and our kids are, you know, all reasonably content and all that. No, the blessedness that he's talking about here is so much deeper. Are you settled in your soul? Do you have that deep inner shalom, peace, regardless of your circumstances? Well, you're never going to get that until you first, as I've said earlier, until you recognize that your sin have been covered. Have you not entered into that kind of a covenant with God through Jesus? You want blessedness? You want contentment, happiness, all those? Do you want that in your life? Well, you need to make sure your sins are covered. You can do that as simply as today. You can do that today. You can do that on live stream. You can do that wherever you are. Just say, Lord Jesus, I just, I, I am a sinner. I, I, I am, I'm David more than I'm you. I see more of David in my own heart than I see in you. Lord, I, I'm asking you, would you forgive me? Would you cover my sins and then enter my heart? And I, I'm going to give my life to you. And it starts right then. Now you move into that. And this is what David is saying. How blessed is the man whose sins are covered. For them, it was the literal blood of goats and lambs and the, the whole process of the, the, the temple and all the sacrificial rites of the law. I mean, all that was how they were, their sins were covered. Today, we don't kill animals anymore. The ultimate sacrifice was made 2,000 years ago. That's why we are church at the red door. Our red door has blood over it because it was the blood that Jesus poured out 2,000 years ago. You are blessed when you enter that door. Now, just because you come here doesn't mean you entered that door. You need to do that personally. You need to enter that door of belief in Christ and a full recognition of his forgiveness of your sins. You can do that at any moment, at any time. That's the beauty of it. Jesus, come live on the inside of me. It's powerful. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Now, remember, he's writing this during this time. How blessed is the man? It's not, it's not credited to my account. He's taken it away. My, this is what happens on these uh, CSI. My, I haven't watched this stuff, but I, occasionally you, you see this kind of thing, and they need a witness, right? So if you'll come, your whole criminal past will be expunged, right? We'll, we'll, we'll remove this if you'll be a witness in this particular area. We're just going to make it like it never happened. We're going to clean your... Now, that doesn't happen in every situation. Very rarely happens, but Hollywood says that happens every once in a while, right? We're going we're gonna to clean your record, but you need to do this for us. Well, you don't do anything on this. Jesus had your, re your record cleaned, and that's why he suffered on the cross like he did. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, notice, my body wasted away. What are the effects of sin in your life? Your body will waste away. 
Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away, as with the fever heat of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Because there is a season... If you harden your heart enough that you sometimes can't make your way back to God. And you say, well, that's a manipulative tactic. This is just the word. There is, there's a moment in time when some people are so hard. Maybe you know some of those friends. Now, you're not the judge, and you don't determine who, who is and who's not. But there are places in time where you have friends, right? He said they're just completely, completely closed. They can't hear anything. I try to share with them. They'd want nothing to do with anything. Sometimes that hardness can go deep, isn't it? It's powerful. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the coming of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Don't just be led by the law. Those horses need a bridle. They need to be, that's the law. Tell, you know, go, the, you know, go this way. No, no, no. Don't be that. Be led by the Spirit. And, in fact, if you look at the next verse, it says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, who, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So, this is the first psalm. He said, look, if you'll just do this, if you'll, be, if you'll trust in the Lord and his covering of you, you will live in loving kindness. Who didn't want that? No, I'd prefer, I'd, I don't like living in loving kindness. You know, I don't like an atmosphere of loving kindness around me. I like, uh, I like kind of a Trump administration type of a vibe around me where things are, everybody is a little bit out of balance and little kind of thing. It's not a political statement because it's true across Cross parties right now, Democrat, Republican, Independent, everybody's just on it. It's just like constant, it's just a big mess. And it's, you just never know. And it's, a, it's, a, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's moments and times where it just feels there's a caustic nature to the environment around you. Would you agree with that? I mean, don't you hate being in those environments? Some of you have, and it's getting warm in here, some of you have workplaces that are, a, it's a caustic environment. It's really difficult to live in those situations, isn't it? And you want loving kindness to surround you. Trust in the Lord. That's what this is saying. So look, here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to work through the thinking that David has after that's occurred. But I want to do this before we before we conclude this morning. I want us to think deeply about our own duplicity. Before we cast stones at David, and some of you, and look, let me tell you something, this is tough, but if you recognize the full, this Psalm 32 is so powerful, so powerful, before you cast David off as just someone who, what a horrible guy, recognize that what he's writing here applies to you. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Blessed is the woman whose sin God does not impute anymore. Add to their account. Do you recognize, and I, I meet them every day, and I meet them in church, and I meet them at... Bible studies I've been doing for years, and I meet them all the time. I, I cannot tell you how many men that I've sat before at a breakfast or to this or to that, and they've gone to church for 20 or 30 years, and deep down they're still carrying the weightiness of a Davidic action, and they cannot forgive themselves. And I confront them the same way every time. I do it in love. They don't need to, they're, they're not at a place where David is. You're the man. They already know they're the man. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, man, the men who know they are the men. And they, and they look you right now, and they've been going to church for 20 or 30 years, and, I'll tell, and they're straight up, and they still feel like God has not forgiven them. And I confront them with this. Then what you're saying is exactly what Paul said. 
if man could be made righteous through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What you are saying when you're saying that I am not free from my sin, what you're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. Somehow, deep down, way down, and let me, I don't care if you've been walking the Lord for a long period of time and you know these scriptures by heart and you even teach Bible studies, I'm still telling you there is that place in your soul until you get this really reconciled in your own heart and get these scriptures in your heart. You will not know how to fight. Satan will come and say, you're not worthy, you don't live up, God, God's angry at you. you. Let me tell you something, you need to have this in your soul. And some of you still struggle with this. You fail and you, or you've got something from 25 years ago, as horrendous as it might be. If you get nothing from this, how much more horrendous can it be? What kind of thing? Murder, adultery. It, in fact, I'd call it rape, right? This is, this is all this. Mur- this is together. Have we Look, this is Harvey Weinstein plus a murder cover-up. It cannot get much worse than this. Yet the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Now, some people are really offended by that, but the the reality is this resonates with me. I just got to tell you, it encourages me. It resonates with me because it can't get much worse than this. And getting somebody drunk and all they've got. At what point, at what point? I will ask you to do this. Call me this week and we'll set up coffee if you've gone beyond the threshold of murder cover-up Harvey Weinstein, getting somebody drunk and manipulating. If you've gone beyond that point, then come have a conversation and I might have a new category. And then I'll come back next week and I'll say, well, here's a category that clearly cannot be atoned for by Jesus. Meet with me and we'll, we'll sit down for coffee or maybe iced coffee this, this time of year, right? We'll sit down for coffee. If you can come up with something worse than this in your soul. And yet when we get to the New Testament, David is still lifted up as a paragon of faith. Do you understand that? I, got, I don't want you to, to leave this morning or leave when you're watching this or whatever. Don't leave your room or your whatever. Do not leave until you reconcile this in your own heart. There is no sin that cannot be covered. David is writing this. This is God's word to you. Blessed is the man whose sin, adultery, drunk, you know, Murder, all this, all of this, blesses the man whose sin is covered, and God does not impute one iota to their record. I need an amen, brother. Okay, thank you. Is that good news? Come on, man. Come on, man. Do not be. Do not walk out of here with a big sack on your back. And say, God couldn't forgive. Please, I beg you. There's not a more poignant moment in all of Scripture where this comes to bear. You are forgiven if you've given your life to Jesus. That's the caveat. If you've not, you, you continue. If you're going to bear your own load, you continue to bear your own load. So I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Somehow we've preached a gospel message that goes out there and people reject it. And I don't understand. I still don't understand. They want to care. What they're saying is I would carry my shame and my guilt all the way. And if there's an, it, maybe they say they don't believe in the other side. Maybe they say they don't believe in the afterlife or something. But I will carry my own shame and my own guilt or I've justified it enough and I don't have to worry about it. But I choose to carry it for the rest of my life. And if there's an afterlife, I'll just deal with it then. And I'm saying, and, I'm, and here's the Christian message, not rules and regulations and all this other nonsense that can be thrown out. You get, don't get the cart before the horse. God is saying, no, through Jesus, I'm going to cut the bag, baggage off your back. Quit trying to carry it. That's the gospel. And that is unbelievably good news. All you got to do is believe. And it's God who gives you the faith to believe anyway. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as we've looked at over and over. Are you hearing these words? This is God's word. This is not my story. This is not my take. It cannot be more clear. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. So uh, in closing, um, is this Mike live over here? Let's, if not, let's get it live. There we go. It's live. Uh, let's see. Mike Mills, you here? 
Uh, come on up here, brother. I want you to close us in prayer. For those of you who don't know Mike, Mike is now heading up our prayer team. Isn't that awesome? We've got, if you've got things you want prayed for, this is the man you need to find in the foyer or via email. Go to Kristen, get this to Mike. We have a growing number of people who are praying for you and for this church, for all of your needs. And I got to tell you, this man is a man of prayer. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, I'll do that, and then I'll be on the hospitality team next week. And then I, no, no, no. This man is so committed to prayer, it's unbelievable. This is his gift. He knows the word, and he is, is becoming a great leader in our prayer movement to pray for you and this valley and other things around that. You need to know this guy's face. And his wife, Stacy has done worship and does worship for us as well. And the whole family and the Solis family, this is all a big family, right? Big family affair. And, and so Mike has such a passion to pray for you. And so he'll be one of the guys along with some others down here that will pray for you at the conclusion of the service as well. So what I'm asking, oh, Mike, I just want you to pray and close us in prayer if you don't mind. And, uh, and I also wanted people to know who you were. So uh, thank you for your service to Church at the Red Door, good brother. Oh, Father God, we, we are humbled before you, Father, as we realize, God, that we are all David, Lord. Every one of us, Father, we've fallen so short of your glory, God. We've sinned against you in so many ways, God. We can't enumerate. We can't even count the sin in our life, God. It would take a lifetime for us just to scratch the surface of the sin of our lives. And yet, God, you love us as you love David, yes. God. Yes. Father, you love us, your word says, with an everlasting love. And our hearts are humbled and broken before you because of that, Lord. God, we thank you with all of our hearts for sending Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross to cover us. We thank you, Lord God, that by your grace we are forgiven and cleansed and set free and reconciled to you, Lord. God, we exalt you and praise you and thank you yes, for loving us, you. for your great mercy and grace in our lives, Lord. And so, God, because of your mercy, because of your grace, God, we pray that as a response we would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our lives would bring glory and honor to you. Father, we ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit and keep us filled with your word that by the power of your Holy Spirit we would live in faithfulness and obedience to your word. And like David, God, we would be known as men and women of God after your own heart, Lord. Oh, God, we just pray that our lives would bring blessing to you, and that we would um, walk in your presence and in your spirit all the days of our lives. Thank you for the testimony of David, and it's the same testimony that by your grace we have that the Lord Jesus has, has cleansed us and forgiven us, that we could love and serve you, Lord, and walk in fellowship with you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you don't want that brother praying for you, you got problems, man. <laughs> hey, we love you, Church of the Red Door. Go find shade immediately. Find air conditioning. Love you. Have a great week.